Greetings, brothers and sisters. We praise the Lord as always for his goodness and for his mercy. He's always doing great things, uh, more things than we can take inventory of, more than we can count. And um, the thing that we can uh, say about all of it is that God's been good. Whether we understand it or not, whether we see it or not, we can say that God is absolutely good, always making ways out of no ways. We have a wonderful study for you that uh, we are going to embark on um, today. Um, I pray that when you hear this uh, message, this lesson, that it will be a blessing, that you will take this with you into your study time, into your prayer time, um, going over the things that uh, we talk about. As always, we are going to back everything up with scripture. It's important that you take the word of God. Don't just take my word for it. You take the word of God take God's word for it. So we're going to make sure that you have the scriptures and everything that you need in order to back up and to prove out what we are talking about as we move by the permission of the Lord. Now we're going to uh, direct our attention to um, two sets of scriptures. One is found in Matthew chapter six, verse 13. The other is going to be found in the gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse four. Amen. So Matthew 6, 13 and Luke 11 and 4. Let's begin with the scripture in Matthew. The word of God says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 11, verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You probably noticed that these scriptures that we have just read uh, cover the same thing. Amen. Or seem to cover the same thing. And this is something that we're going to bring out. The reason for this is because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, often or at times cover um, different perspectives on the same event that happened in Scripture. So the same story, the same information, you will at times find it represented in more than one gospel. Amen. Uh, the difference is, is that it's not necessarily verbatim from gospel to gospel. Amen. Um, there are some nuances, some differences. You were, should have been able to tell that just from the scripture we read today um, or this, mor <clears throat> this morning or this afternoon or this evening, wherever you're and whenever you're listening to this. Uh, we, we covered the same uh, information, but you probably noticed that the wording was different uh, from verse to verse. It wasn't verbatim the same, but the content of it or the context of it is still the same. And that is because the gospels are also known um, in, um, I guess you would call it in, um, in, in the realm of biblical studies, they're also known as synoptic or referred to as the synoptic gospels. And when you hear that phrasing, that really just means that the same topic um, is covered um, in more than one gospel. So that's all that that means. There's no, uh, no smoke and mirrors on that. And certainly you don't want to overanalyze that. That's all that that means if you ever hear someone say synoptic gospels. Nevertheless, uh, let's dig into this. Now, something, uh, these scriptures come out of 
two gospels that uh, that you should be familiar with. And if you're not, um, this is your first exposure to. Um, but uh, saints, anyone who has been in this walk, okay, with the Lord, uh, any length of time, you are familiar with this. In fact, even some people who are not, um, who would not consider themselves religious or, and for all intents and purposes, we wouldn't say that they have a relationship with God according to the Bible, amen. But even them, um, there are those who still have actually some familiarity with this scripture. Perhaps they were taught this or shared this with a, by a family member uh, many years ago or in growing up. And this is often referred to as uh, scriptures that come out of what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Amen. The Lord's Prayer, uh, affectionately, is what this is often referred to. And the reason why it is called that, and I invite you to read the context of this entire scripture. We just pulled out uh, one aspect of it, which we're going to deal with today, but I want you to take a look at it. It is called the Lord's Prayer because in this particular scripture set, amen, it comes on the heels of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray, teach them to pray, and from that we get this topic or we get this um, response of Jesus categorized by uh, Christendom um, at large as the Lord's Prayer. Amen. When what you learn about it, what's interesting about this uh, prayer is, is if you read it in Matthew and you read it in Luke. Now, in this case, I mean, read the entire context of it, not just the ones, the verses we just went through. But if you read the entire context of this, okay, um, you will discover that this prayer can actually be used or is intended to be used in two different ways. Amen. A lot of people don't necessarily realize that you got some people who are on one side of the camp or the other, but we're going to pull all of this out um, in, uh, in order to bring some context to what we're going to talk about today. You will discover, looking at the context of this text in each case, Matthew and in Luke, that the scripture actually can be used in two ways. This prayer that you read can be used verbatim, and we see that in the book of Luke because Luke adds this wording, says, when ye pray, say, amen. So he's recording what Jesus is saying, amen. And he's telling you, and the wording that he uses here is when ye pray, say. Now, the significance of that is, is that that actually means repeat after me. That phrase is really to say, say what I said, amen, amen. So we see that in um, we see that uh, in Luke, Amen. But it can also be used not just as not just verbatim, Amen. But it can also be used and is also intended to be used as a template, okay, from which we structure our prayers. And we see that in Matthew because Matthew describes it as this way. Matthew says has this wording when you read it. The Bible says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Amen. So we have when you pray, say, which is repeat after me. Amen. 
And then you also have, after this manner, therefore pray ye, which simply means pray in this fashion, pray in this format, pray in this structure. Now, a lot of times we get, um, because I've heard a lot of people preach on this, I've heard a lot of people teach on this, and the prevailing thought that happens with this is that a lot of people approach this um, from the standpoint or from the perspective of Matthew, where Matthew says, uh, after this manner, pray ye, and they tend to focus and lock down on that. And they tend to really kind of look down on anybody or it, that, that um, or, um, or any type of suggestion that you can, that you are to pray this prayer um, verbatim. But what you see actually in the scripture is, is that the Bible actually makes room for both. Amen. And so when you get somebody who gets really kind of locked in or dogmatic on um, the, on, on, on uh, set on, hey, you know what, you've got to pray in this way and you can't use the words specifically, no, bypass all of that. That person has absolutely no idea what it is that they're talking about. And more than likely, they're probably just repeating some nonsense that they heard from somebody else being ignorant of the scriptures of what it actually says. The Bible actually makes room for both. Amen. And we see that um, in the scriptures. We see that very plainly in the scriptures that the Lord is making room. Uh, the Lord makes room for um, both of those situations. Okay. And that's, and that, and that really cannot um, be um, overstated. Okay. Enough that really cannot be, um, be oversimplified. The Bible makes room brothers and sisters for both. And I'm glad that he does. Amen. Now, the prayer, the Lord's prayer can be used. Amen. It can be used verbatim. Amen. But the thing is, and I want to add a caveat, because the Bible plainly says, when ye pray, say, and that's what we see in Luke one through four, we see him tell us that. So we know that we can repeat it, but here's the bottom line. And this is what you got to know. If you pray it that way, okay. If you pray that verse or pray that prayer verbatim, you need to keep in mind, I need to keep in mind that we've got to take great care that we are not just routinely throwing those words out. Amen. If you're going to pray that prayer verbatim, you need to make sure that although you are praying it verbatim, you are not just throwing the words out out of habit and out of routine, amen, with no thought or, or, or anything whatsoever. That, brothers and sisters, simply will not fly with God. That's not going to get you anywhere, amen. God totally accepts those words. He gave those words, amen, and he will acknowledge those words, but you have to remember Amen. God searches the heart. And it is because of that. That is why if ever you do use that prayer and you pray it verbatim, you've got to make sure that your heart is in it and that you are reaching out and you're touching God. Amen. In the spirit that you're moving, that you're not, that you are really connecting with God. First Samuel 16 and seven says this, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. And I want you to look at that B portion of 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 7 says this, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Brothers and sisters, yes, you may use this prayer and you may pray it verbatim, 
but your heart got to be in it. It got to be real. It has got to come from a place where your heart is crying out to God. Amen. And that those words, because in that case, those words are, are articulating what you cannot vocalize. Amen. And God's reading that and he's lining that all up and he's lining it up with the with the voice of your heart. Amen. So it's important that you do that. Now, that is something that is available to you. But what Matthew reveals to us is, is that the prayer is also for as much as it can be used verbatim, you're not meant to stay there. Amen. You are supposed to, in looking at the Lord's prayer, you are supposed to become spiritually enlightened of the prayer format or a format of prayer that is acceptable to God. And when you understand that, when I understand that, I no longer really actually have to pray those words specific. I can use a different collection or set of words, but because I understand that, the framing of my prayer is going to tick all of the boxes that are represented within that prayer. This is why I say and why I said in Matthew, Matthew says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, basically revealing to us brothers and sisters that this prayer that we so affectionately call the Lord's Prayer, not only can it be used verbatim, but it is also meant to be used as a template. It's a training tool. You can use it verbatim, but it is also a training tool to teach you the mechanics or the structure of proper prayer. So make sure that you don't stop at just praying the Lord's prayer. If you need to say that, amen. And I'm glad that God got it that way. And you should be glad too, because there are some times where I don't know what to say. Bible, Bible, Bible tells us very plainly that, you know what I'm saying? We don't always pray for what we are. We don't know what we, we don't always know that. We don't always pray the way that we should. We don't always pray according to the way that God would have us have us pray. And I run out of words sometimes and you're going to run out of words sometimes. And it's good to know that when I run out of words and I don't know the exact words, all I got to do is make sure that my heart is lined up. And if my heart is lined up, God already got the words. God already put it out there. But if I am going forward and growing in the Lord, my prayer should not stay there. Amen. My prayer life should not stay at the, at, at, at the very beginning, you know, of the, you know, of the, of, of the Lord's prayer. It shouldn't stay in that. It shouldn't stay there. The format should stay. Amen. The structure should stay. I should be ticking those boxes off, but I shouldn't, I should be able to grow and grow into an enhanced ability to keep that format and that structure, but I'm able to apply it with word with my own words. Amen. So that's what we're we're looking for now. So we see that um, in the scripture when we look at this Lord's Prayer, and that's the first thing that we really wanted to understand. Now, as we zero into our text specifically, amen, the word of God says, and lead us not, and this is Matthew 6, 13, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Then Luke eleven four 4 says, and forgive us our sins, for, if, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we see the same concept um, being addressed in here. And what we are going to talk about today is what we what is actually meant when we pray, deliver us 
from evil. Amen. We're not going to do go a deep dive into um, lead us not into temptation, although that's repeated, but we really want to focus in on that deliver us from evil because we see obviously that this is found in two places. We look at Matthew and we look at Luke and we see the exact same phrase and there's no difference here. Deliver us from evil is what you read in Matthew and deliver us from evil is what you also read again in Luke. So you've got these two uh, gospels, these two books of the New Testament that both have the same phrasing. Amen. And so I want to draw our attention um, to that phrase, deliver us from evil. Okay, because in both accounts, the phrase is identical. Now, on the outside, if when we consider this, Matthew and Luke seem to be doubling down. Okay, when we consider this, Matthew and Luke seem to be uh, doubling down, so to speak, okay, or reinforcing the same concept. That's what we that's what we 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 see right on the outside. Amen. And this is not inaccurate. Okay, this is not inaccurate. We're not going to try to re come up with something so that we can sound prolific. No, no, no. This is not inaccurate. Okay, as they are reinforcing the same concept. Okay, they are reinforcing. I'm saying that again. The same concept, but. What we've got to keep in mind is, is that while, yes, they are reinforcing the same concept, that is not all that's happening in these two scriptures. Amen. Yes, they're reinforcing it, but that's not all that's happening here. And we're going to find out what else is happening in these two scriptures so that we can go and tell somebody and so that we can start living even closer to what God wants us to be. All right. This is important. Why? Why is knowing this important? Well, it's important for a couple reasons. Okay. And there, and we're going to dive into that. Number one, I want you to understand something. And I hope you see this. Um, Divine, we see, notice that you see this phrasing twice, deliver us from evil. The first thing that I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, is that divine repetition in scripture, okay, is a sign of divine establishment. Now, I want you to take a look at Genesis 41 and 32, because we need to prove that out. We don't want to just make some statements that sound good, but are not according to the scripture. I said divine repetition is in scripture is a sign of divine establishment. Amen. Well, when you read Genesis 41 and 32, amen, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. Amen. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Do you hear what the scripture is saying? And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh. Amen. Twice. It is, why? It is because the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. Brothers and sisters, whenever you see God do a thing twice or more in scripture, now, notice what I said, when you see God do a thing twice or more in scripture, 
our position is we got to stop, we got to slow down, and we got to pay close attention. Amen. Amen. We, whenever you see God doing something in scripture more than one time, doing that thing more than one time, don't move too quick. Don't speed past it. Don't hurry up and try to get through it. No, stop and slow down. Slow down and stop. Pay close attention because what's getting ready to happen is not something that you and I can afford to miss. It's not something that you and I can afford to simply walk past. When God does a thing twice or more in scripture, okay, you and I uh, would be remiss if we do not stop and we do not pay attention. Why? Because it means that God is establishing something. Amen. 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 And I just read you that scripture, Genesis 41 and 32. God is establishing something. When God does a thing more than once, it means God is setting something in stone. You got to understand it. It means he's writing something in stone. It, it, it means that God is settling the matter. It means that God is instituting something. It means that God is putting something into effect or operation. It means that God is setting divine order. Amen. 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 So when you and I see in scripture, the Lord doing something more than one time, don't move too quick. No, no, no. Because you can't afford to get that wrong. You cannot afford. Amen. And I'm going to say that again. You cannot afford to get that wrong. When God does something in more than once in the scripture like that, brothers and sisters, you got to understand, we don't have an excuse to come up with something, an interpretation that's different than what God said. Amen. Amen. A -a Amen. Amen. When you look at these things and you and the Bible is 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 chucked full of all of this stuff, you'll see God doing things over and over and you'll see him repeating certain things. And, and, and when you see that, you don't want to go past that. Take baptism. You see them getting baptized all in the water, under the water. You don't see them. You don't see nobody getting sprinkled. You don't see anybody. You, you, listen, you don't see somebody come being able to, to go to, to go walk through the salvation process without being baptized. In the, -uh. No, 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 no. You don't see that. Notice you see it more than once. God is putting something in order. And when he does that, you and I cannot just bypass that. When God establishes something, brothers and sisters, it becomes the rule and not the exception. Amen. Amen. It becomes law. And any attempt to change or to alter or to adjust what God has done, brothers and sisters, it is forbidden. Don't walk in that camp. Why? Because it is transgression. That means that it is the breaking or the violation of God's law. When God does something more, God means that's the way I want it. When he does it, when he, when he, when he, when he, when, when, when you see it repeated, God is saying, this is how I want it. This is what's getting ready to happen. Or this is what I'm getting ready. This is what I'm establishing. This 
I don't want you to change. The Bible is very clear about that. Deuteronomy um, 4 and 2 says, and ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command. Deuteronomy 12, 32. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add there to nor diminish from it. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the word of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. When God establishes something, don't change nothing. Don't change a thing at all. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. It don't matter what, what, what religious academia tells you. It doesn't matter about all of that. It, what matters is what is written. God's word is established. And when you see in scripture, God starting to do things and repeat the same thing. Oh, brothers and sisters, if it's, if, if, look, you don't change it. Don't change it. Don't change it. Don't walk into that camp. Don't let the devil fool you thinking that your interpretation is enlightened and that, uh, you better make sure that your interpretation and your understanding is not adding to the word or taking away. When God tell you not to do something, God means don't do it. Amen. Amen. We live in troubled times when the word of God tells us that, you know, tells us that we teaches us that we should be obeying the laws of the land. Don't you change nothing. Don't change anything. I don't care how it is. God don't allow us to pick and choose what we're going to follow and what we're going to do. No, no, no. The word of God is set. When God says don't do something, it means don't do it. When God says do something, it means that's what I want you to do. When that word tells us that except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Guess what that means? You can come up with your own baptismal formula, all that you want and your own way to get making it into heaven. But if you have not done what that word says, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not getting in. You are not saved. You ain't even almost saved. If you got in another way, let me tell you something other than the way that God laid it out. You are not saved. You got to do it the way the Bible says do it. Amen. Don't take away. So don't fall into that trap. The enemy wants us to, to, to fall in that trap. And that's a very favorite tactic of his that he uses with the children of God. He, use, he, he really gets us in the area of doctrine. We start thinking we're we smarter than the average bear. We know everything and all this kind of stuff. No, you don't. You know what God told you. And if God didn't tell you something, you don't know nothing. So just wait on God, wait for him to speak and stop coming up with your own stuff. Because at the end of the day, the counsel of the Lord, the Bible says it shall stand, not yours, not mine. What I come up with is not going to fly. But what everything that God said, that's established. That is established. Amen. So we praise the Lord. So we praise the Lord. Um, we praise the Lord for that. Now, 
if we move on with this, because we're really dealing in what are we, what are we talking about when we, when we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Amen. What are we really getting into uh, when we say that? Well, both writers, in addition to that phrase, you notice what you notice in that in that phrase that both writers use the word deliver. Amen. And deliver means literally to rescue. Okay. Is that simple enough? No, no, nothing complicated. Deliver means to rescue. It's a verb. Okay, and if we really break break it into it and really kind of get um, pull out the different flavors of it, it means to be free from harm or evil, and in some cases from imprisonment. Okay, but here's some interesting things that you don't may not have necessarily known. When you say deliver, it also not only does it mean to rescue, but the sense of it is also to pull out, to save, or to be saved. Okay, or to be secure. Okay, and that and and we can kind of get that. But here's something even more interesting. It also means save one's self. Uh-oh. Tear from or remove from or to withdraw from. Amen. And we're going to bring in, Lord willing, all of these things and try to really paint a real clearer picture of what we are actually saying when we say and when we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. What is we're going to learn about the power of that phrase so that when we pray it going forward, there's a depth to it that goes beyond just repeating like a parrot. And we don't want to do all that. Remember, God is looking at the heart. So we never want to just be repeating. We want our heart to be engaged in our words. We want our mind. We want all of it to be going in sync. So that's what the word deliver means. And both user and both writers, both Matthew and Luke use that word deliver. Now, both writers use the word evil as well. Amen. We're drilling down. But the sense of the word evil, okay, the sense of the word, while they both use the word evil, okay, the sense of the word in each text is different. Amen. So they use the same word, but the sense of it in each text is actually different. See, the wording is the same, but the thought being conveyed is different. Amen. Amen. Matthew uses the word, and the, the, the Greek word behind this would be paneros, okay? He uses that word alone, all right? Paneros, okay? This and this mainly deals with uh, external evil. I'm going to try to paint this picture or evil from an external source. So the word, so the word in essence, brothers and sisters, means because it's an adjective, it, it, it really means bad or wicked or evil. Okay. But but the sense of it, because we're talking, it's 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 primarily external, is that of a bad person or a wicked person, or a evil doer. Now, to, to kind of give you and capture the flavor of this and really give you something that did, that I helped tie this together, the word, the, 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 and help you really get into this, a good example of this, that uh, of, 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 of Poneros would be Satan himself, because Satan is called the, e, called the evil one. And you read that, and we find that in Matthew 13 and 38 and John 17 and 15. He's called the evil one. And the word there that 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 evil one the for, uh, behind that phrase evil one is paneros 
Amen. Because remember, I told you it's external. When Matthew uses it, it's talking about it from an external sense. So Satan is called the evil one. And that evil one, the word behind it, the Greek word behind that is paneros. Amen. Uh, demonic spirits. Another example. In, in, in general, they're characterized as paneros or evil. You see that in Luke 11, 13 and Acts uh, 19, uh, 12 through through 16, as you as it's talking about those demonic spirits, okay, uh, or those uh, those those evil those evil spirits. The word behind it is paneros. Amen. So we're talking about external evil, okay? You're talking about evil on that 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 that's on the outside. Amen. Amen. And now I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice something because we, we want to work on this. I want to make sure we understand this, it, that that word Panero. So when when Matthew says deliver us from 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 evil. OK, he's talking about from external sources. OK, he's talking about evil that comes in on you, the end that comes your way. So 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 when the Bible is talking about the enemy comes in like a flood, that 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 that's kind of what we're talking about, that external thing. But notice what I told you that that word, that word evil there. OK, it also means it means bad and it means wicked, primarily, you know, ex externally. But what I want to do and I want to draw your attention to is wicked because I want to make sure we understand something. Yes, it's talking about external wickedness, okay? And uh, 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 external uh, bad folks or, or, or evildoers. And, and, and I want to set some grounds real quick in, in understanding when it comes to the wicked because many of us children of God, we got a misunderstanding when it comes to uh, wicked. And, I, and, 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 and when, when we start talking about wicked, OK. Um, or when the Bible talks about wicked, because I want to make I want to set this up when when the Bible talks about um, wicked. OK, there are some things that you need to understand about wicked. Wicked really, in essence, means to to make or something to make or to be uh, good for nothing. So uh, so it means to really be bad physically, socially and morally. OK, that that when a person is wicked, that that's what that means. OK. It, that that that's literally what it means. Okay. Now, in many cases, the sense used in scripture, because the Bible uses many different senses of it, or or different words, and the different words um, for wicked, okay, or wickedness, they carry different flavors, okay, or different nuances in in their meaning. But in their meaning, but in many cases, the sense used in scripture to describe the wicked really is that of an evildoer. Now, remember, going back to Paneros, okay? It's external. Remember what I told you. And it deals with wicked, but, but more in line with a wicked person or evil or an evildoer. Now, a wicked person, when you start getting into that, a wicked person is a evildoer. And what that actually means is, and what the Bible means is, when the Bible refers refers to wicked or, or, or is dealing with the wicked, that means or is addressing someone who does evil deliberately. That's what constitutes a wicked person is that they do evil. They are an evildoer, but they do it deliberately and deliberately. And so they are they are individuals who really deserve to be punished for their acts. Why? Because they're doing it on purpose. They're not they're not fumbling and bumbling into it. A wicked person is someone who is doing who, who is who's walking in unrighteousness on purpose. Amen. Now, you need to understand something about wickedness, okay? And I'm going to try to move as quickly as I can. 
and, and, and this is good for us to know, a wicked person is not always a person who doesn't believe in God. See, and we as children of God, we tend to think when we start dealing with a wicked person, we think of everybody external. And I'm bringing this in real quick because I want to set some groundwork. But a wicked person is not always somebody who's not a believer in uh, who is not a believer in God. But rather, the wicked person is always, always a person who disobeys God. Because remember what I tell you, they do it deliberately. Okay, they do it deliberately. They are always a person. Amen. 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 They are always a person who who literally disobeys God. Look, Malachi um, 4 and 1 says this, for behold, the day cometh that all shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Look, this is a person that, that they do. Why, why is it going to hit them? Why is the day of the Lord going to hit them? Because they do wickedly. They're doing something. Amen. They're, they are do, they're doing something. And what it is that they're doing, amen, is contrary to what God would have them do. Amen. It's contrary to God's plan for our lives. These are individuals, whether they have a full understanding of God or not, whether they have a full understanding of his ways or not, doesn't matter. It, they are labeled as wicked. Why? Because they intend to do wrong. Amen. See, being wicked doesn't mean that you intend to violate God's to violate God's law. You might not know nothing about God, but you intend to do something that's wrong. See, the Bible teaches that God has given light to every man. So for every man, God's given you a conscience, which means that you and I know the difference between right and wrong. Amen. Amen. Con means with and 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 science means knowledge. So with knowledge, God has given you a conscience. Amen. It's a compound of those two words. So the idea is that when you do something, you do it with knowledge as to whether or not it's right or wrong. There is an innate, there is at a base level, there is the knowledge of what I'm doing, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Now, here's the thing. I don't have to know God in order to know that what I'm doing is good or bad. Why? Because God gave you a conscience. Amen. Amen. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that they're doing it, whatever it is, whether they know God or not, they're doing it on purpose. Amen. Amen. And that is something that is not to be taken lightly. A wicked person can also be a so-called believer. As we build it on it, we build it on it because when we, we, we said in Matthew, and that word is Paneros and it deals with that wicked person. And before you start thinking that, oh, it's just dealing, you know, we just talk, you know, yeah, it, 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 you know, we're just talking about external evil. Yes, we are talking about external evil. We are talking about a wicked person or wickedness that comes in or evil that comes in from an external, um, from an external source. But we need to learn something about wickedness because sometimes there's a fine line between wickedness 
wickedness and righteousness. And because we oftentimes walk in self-righteousness, we miss that line. And so when we should be righteous, we start walking in wickedness. So we go on, we're just building on this to make sure that we understand. See, a wicked person can also be a so-called believer. Okay, and they are that by way of mental assent or a wicked person can be a non-believer. And for that, you can look at Isaiah 29 and 13 and you can look at Matthew 15, um, eight through nine to really kind of get an idea of what we're talking about when we when we say that. Amen. Amen. In addition to this, a wicked person can also, and a lot of people don't realize this. So before you start getting ready to to point fingers at everybody else. You better check the rest of those fingers that, that are pointing backwards towards you and making sure that you're not walking in no unrighteousness because a wicked person, contrary to what people believe and what they think, a wicked person can also be a true believer. Uh-oh, let me add to it before somebody take it out of context. A true believer who has turned from his righteousness. So you can start out right, but you can become wrong is essentially what I'm saying. You can start out right. You're, you're a true believer. You're following the word. But if you're not careful, if you're not staying in that word, if you're not obeying that word and you start to live carnally and you start to do what the word tells you not to do. Yeah, you might have started off as a true believer. But let me tell you something. You're not going to stay a believer. Not at all. Not at all. And for those who dispute that and those who have a problem with that and think that, oh, you know what, that's not possible. Let me tell you something. You might want to double check Ezekiel chapter 18. Look at verses 23 and verses 24. Bible says this. Have I any pleasure at all? that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. But when the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and committed iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth. Notice he's talking about the when the righteous man do what the wicked man is doing. <laughs> and doeth, the Bible says, shall he live? All the righteousness that he hath done, look at what God said, shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned in them shall he die. Yeah, yeah, you might want to, might want to, might want to take inventory might want to take inventory. I know there are a lot of people and that that's, that's a heavy scripture because that one there goes in the face of a lot of people who have been taught, you know, wrong and taught that once saved, always saved. The Bible don't teach that. And you got to understand God don't change. That was written in the Old Testament. So <laughs> you listen, if God is God, he can't change. God have never let nobody that's righteous go turn to wickedness and then reward that guy. Give that guy heaven, give him, no, -uh. that person had to repent. That person had to come to himself. That person got to be saved. They don't get to remain in wickedness, even though they might've started out in righteousness, but then later turn to wickedness and then somehow get to go to heaven. It don't work that way, brothers and sisters. And so many of us have been deceived, some purposely and some not on purpose, but by people who didn't know any better who were themselves taught that once saved, always saved. Listen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And you have to understand, this is if God said, I don't like it, and I don't ha I'm not having it in the Old Testament, he can't get to the New Testament, and then all of a sudden it changed. No, 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 no. That means he changed. 
that would mean he changed. And God plainly says that what? He is the Lord thy God, what? And I change not. God is not getting ready to change. So you got to understand there's a thin line. You got to understand that. And you must keep that in mind because there is a very, very, very thin line between that which is right and that which is wrong. And if you and I, amen, are going to reap the blessings of God, the benefits of God, we got to stay where God has told us to be. Now, we don't have to do that on our own. That's why he gives us the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, God himself, will help us to stay and remain where we are supposed to be. Amen. So you have this word paneros, right? Um, and it deals with um, wickedness and it deals with it externally. Amen. But the point of me bringing in the wicked, that really, really, really locking in on the wicked is, is that, yes, it's dealing with it from the external, but you and, and I have better make sure that we don't walk that line and we become some of those external folk that Matthew is talking about. Because it's a thin line, I'm saying it again, between righteousness and unrighteousness. Amen. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And if you and I are not careful, you will transgress the laws of God. We will start coloring outside the lines of what God has given us. And before you know it, those external wicked people that Matthew is talking about when he says, deliver us from evil, you will be that, that you're going to be one of those external wicked people. I'm going to be one of those external wicked people. And we don't want that to be. Amen. We don't want that to be. So Matthew uses that word paneros. Amen. And it deals with that external wickedness. And I gave you that example of Satan and demonic spirits and unclean spirits, that that's the word that's used. And we broke down that wicked and, 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 we, and, 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 and because wicked uh, people and defining that and showing you scriptures about those things because, because, because children of God, you know, ain't no such thing as that once saved, always saved. Uh-uh. Jesus said, be faithful unto death. That means you got to hold the line. That means you got to hold it all the way down. And God has given you something so that you can hold it. He's given you him. All you got to do is hold on to him. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to hold on to you. Amen. Glory to God. Now, Luke, however, does something a little bit different with that word paneros. Amen. Uses the same word, but he adds something to it. There's a, there's a nuance to it, to it that's used in, in Luke. And that's another word that goes in front of it, that often goes in front of it, and that's uh, kakos paneros, amen. Kakos paneros, amen. And this is very interesting um, because that kakos added to the beginning of paneros changes the flavor of this thing, amen. Glory to God. God, I'm telling you, this is just good. This, Whenever you're listening to it, whether it's in the morning, for it's the morning for me right now, but it may be evening or afternoon for you. But regardless of when you listen to this, this is just good. Luke adds a word uh, to the to proceed uh, paneros, and that's kakos. And this is very interesting because whenever this is done, it really refers to internal evil. Now, remember, paneros by itself is external. But when you add that kekos paneros, when you get start drilling into that, then you start getting into that internal evil. Or in other words, what you really start talking about is that character. You really start talking about that motive of a person. Amen. The character of, um, excuse me, not the motive, but the morality of that person. See, the sense of how evil is used in Luke is different. Because in Matthew, the same phrase 
But notice how God is using the same topic, the same thing. And he is teaching and he is expounding and he is, he is completing the entire spectrum. And I love God and the way that he does it. See, only God can take one scripture and teach 39,000 different lessons out of one scripture, out of one scripture. See, the wording that is used in the scripture is not by accident. This is on purpose. God intended this. God saw fit to have this. Why? Because God needed to make sure that we had the total understanding and he covered all of the bases. It's not contradictory at all. It is adding, it is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Amen. And I'm glad about that. So Kakos Paneros, okay, deals with that internal evil. Okay, or the character or the, the morality of a person. So the sense of how evil really is being used here in Luke is that of behavior. Now we're gonna get into it. We're gonna dig, we're gonna dig into it. He's talking about behavior. Matthew was talking about that external, but now Luke deals with the same thing. Remember, Lord, deliver us from evil. So when Matthew was talking about it, he was saying, Lord, deliver us from that evil person. Deliver us from Satan and his wickedness and his kingdom. Lord, deliver us from all of those external sources. But when you get to Luke, using the same word and the same phrasing, but he adds a little bit more to it. And now it takes on another uh, dimension. It's an internal or intrinsic dimension. And now it's what we see is that when we say, Lord, deliver us from evil, we're not just saying, Lord, deliver us from the stuff that comes on the outside. Amen. Amen. But now Luke is revealing that we need God to deliver us from the things that originate, the things that 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 permeate from the inside. Amen. Amen. Because Luke uses it and it means behavior. Amen. It means morally objectionable behavior. And, I, and, 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 and what I love about it is that when you really dive into that morally objectionable behavior, it's really two flavors that that's really talking about. It is sexual immorality and it is blasphemy or blasphemous behavior. Now, the sexual immorality, well, that's self-explanatory. Amen. Amen. And, and, and God, God don't intend, in case somebody missed it, Amen. God don't intend for us to go around sexing anybody up. No, we don't. You don't intend us to go around being intimate outside of wedlock. No, that is reserved for the marital union. And that marital union, in case somebody confused about that, is not she and she, and it's not he and he. It's he and she. Amen. You got to go. We're going right back to original design. Amen. Marriage between a man and a woman. That, and in that context alone, amen, is intimacy authorized. Now, the other aspect of it is that of blasphemy or blasphemous behavior, rather. What is blasphemous behavior? Because this is where we get messed up. Uh, we get messed up because when it comes to the sexual immorality part, that's, self, that's, that's clear. Oh, I'm not, I'm not living that way. I'm not doing that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's where you're messing up. Here's where I'm messing up in the blasphemous behavior part. What is blasphemous behavior? That simply means, brothers and sisters, behavior that you and I undertake or operate in that is contrary to the word of God. Amen. 
So when you start talking about blasphemous behavior, it is, it's, it's when we color outside the lines of God's instruction and we start doing what we want to do. See, when, I, when, I, when I'm, when, listen, when I'm saying what the Bible tells me not to say, that's blasphemous behavior. When I go to places where the Bible tells me to stay out of, that's blasphemous behavior. When I undertake and do things that the Bible plainly tells me not to do, that's blasphemous behavior. Amen. That's contrary. That, that, that's contrary behavior to the will of God. Amen. So when we pray the prayer, Lord, deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, what we are getting into when we say, Lord, deliver us from evil. It is talking about both external and internal. Amen. Glory to God. Deliver us from evil, brothers and sisters, is a cry. It is a call. It is both a call for help as much as it is a request for strength. All at the same time. Glory to God. Glory to God. When I pray, when we pray, deliver us from evil. It is a call for deliverance or rescuing while at the same time it is a request for support. Let me try to make it plain to you while giving you scripture to really understand it. See, on the, when I pray, deliver us, when we pray, deliver us from evil. On the one hand, it's Psalms 35, one through two, that says, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me, fight against them that fight against me, take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. But on the other hand, when I pray, deliver us from evil, it's Galatians 5 and 16 that says, this is then, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. On the one hand, when I pray it, it's Psalms 59 and 1 that says, deliver me from mine enemies, oh my God, defend me from them that rise up against me. But yet and still on the other hand, it's me saying James 4 and 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When I pray, deliver us from evil. On one hand, I'm saying like Matthew 11 and 28, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's me calling on going to the Lord and the Lord giving me rest that I can't give myself. But yet on the other hand, when I pray, it's me saying Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ with strengthening me. When I pray, deliver us from evil. It's like on the one hand praying Proverbs 18 and 10 that says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. But at the same time, when I pray it, it's like me saying on the other hand, Ephesians 6 and 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. On the one hand, it's like I'm saying Isaiah 26 and 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in the Lord. But on the other hand, it's like 
like me saying 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you hear it this morning? On the one hand, it's as if I'm saying Psalms 34 and 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. But on the other hand, it's me praying Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. So when I pray and when you pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. It is both a request for help, while at the same time, it is a call for strength. It is the difference between praying, Lord, remove this mountain, versus, Lord, give me the strength to climb this mountain. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord.